The pace of change today can be overwhelming. What's most important to pay attention to if you want to be creative, successful, innovative? I'm Bob Safian, host of Rapid Response. Rapid Response is a podcast that cuts through the noise, featuring candid conversations twice a week with top business leaders navigating real-time challenges. Leaders like Airbnb's Brian Chesky, the WNBA's Kathy Engelbart, and Khan Academy's Sal Khan. From the team behind the award-winning Masters of Scale podcast comes Rapid Response. Search wherever you get your podcasts to listen and subscribe. Here, in fact, is the answer to a dream as old as man himself. A giant of limitless power at man's command. And where was it science found that giant? In the atom. Hi, it's Katerina. In 1953, General Electric produced A is for Atom, an informative animated short with the express goal of promoting the benefits of atomic energy. In post-war America, atomic energy was the next big thing. Nuclear fission, truly a discovery to change the world. Since then, nuclear power plants have generated countless megawatts of electricity through nuclear fission, In the 1950s, atomic energy represented a promise of a new era of clean energy and limitless potential. It was the first step in a nuclear nightmare. But as we all know now, when nuclear power plants fail, they fail catastrophically. The accident occurred here at the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant. There has been an accident at the Chernobyl atomic power station. At the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant, the earthquake and tsunami cut off electricity supplies. Nuclear power was supposed to save the planet. Humanity had grown addicted to electricity, but was unwilling to accept a permanent blanket of soot and smog as part of the deal. Nuclear power, in theory, could change that. There's no way to say how much lasting damage that cloud may have already caused. But since the 2011 accident at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant in Japan, the nuclear industry has been in withdrawal. But if we could harness the power of nuclear fission safely, it would truly be revolutionary. A way to finally wean humanity off of fossil fuels once and for all. One nuclear engineer claims to have a plan to revamp nuclear reactors in smaller, safer, and cheaper packages. Think of it as a six-pack. It's six modules in a reactor building in a 360-megawatt plant, which would be a (laughs) six-pack. They're called small modular reactors, Picture a bunch of 76-foot-tall beer cans providing constant carbon-free power. We could reduce uh, CO2 emissions by a billion metric tons per year. So it's a huge reduction of CO2 emissions uh, just by implementing this technology. Nuclear engineer Jose Reyes is the co-founder of NuScale Power. After more than 10 years in development and $900 million in investment, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission issued approval in August of the safety of its design. The paperwork alone speaks volumes about the process. I think it's about two million pages of information (laughs) regarding the design and includes all test data. NuScale isn't alone. It's part of the Smaller is Better movement, dedicated to the idea of miniaturizing the next generation of nuclear power plants. Is Smaller better? Or are small reactors still susceptible to the same concerns about meltdowns and radioactive waste that have dogged nuclear energy from the get-go? Even if it's safe, nuclear power is still one of the priciest forms of energy. Is this where our brain power should be focused? 
I'm Katerina Fake. How is technology impacting our humanity? It's the question of our times. I made a discovery that was literally unimagined by any human being. There's a sort of a creepiness where somebody is really mistaking the tech for being real. Trust me, that stuff is going on. Penetrating the consciousness in the technology space and the public. This is a show where we take a single technology and ask what's its greatest potential. I mean, really exciting things. Enormously complex. And what could possibly go wrong? We're just looking at each other thinking, oh my God. The future is in our hands. I'm honestly sort of on the fence. Our boldest new technologies can help us flourish as human beings. Now it's accelerating. Absolutely. Or destroy the very thing that makes us human. I, I don't have any doubt. We have to become more informed. Because what I like to say is any technology in human history is neutral. It's how we decide to to use it. Failure is not an option. It is not an option. This is Should This Exist? Katerina here, and we're back. What if I told you that there's an energy source that could heat and light your home, power your electric car, charge your electronics, and filter your water with one-tenth the environmental impact and one-tenth the cost? You'd say yes to that, right? But what if I told you it meant a nuclear plant in your neighborhood, maybe even in your actual backyard? Would that change if you knew it was a small-scale nuclear plant, one that promised to be safer and more resistant to meltdown? What else would you want to know? Well, now is the time to ask, because the question is one you'll be facing in a matter of years, if not sooner. Let's dive in. Part of the reason we're talking about small-scale nuclear reactors today is because of the problems we've had with large-scale nuclear reactors in the past. The question is how fast can the temperature inside the reactor be brought down? In March of 1979, a mechanical or perhaps electrical breakdown at 4 a.m. triggered a series of cascading failures at the Three Mile Island power plant on the Susquehanna River in Pennsylvania. Radiation had penetrated the four-foot-thick walls of that building and was detected as far as one mile away. One of the reactors went into partial meltdown as water pumps failed and the core began to overheat. There were human operators in the control room at the time, but in a misguided attempt to fix the situation, they shut off the emergency water system, making the problem worse. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission has already begun a complete investigation into today's accident. That NRC investigation included 23-year-old nuclear engineer Jose Reyes. The same Jose Reyes with a six-pack approach to small-scale nuclear power. At the time, Reyes had been working in the Reactor Safety Division of the NRC for less than a year when he was assigned to the five-person team charged with figuring out what went wrong at Three Mile Island. Like, what did it feel like being there? Uh, what struck me the most was I, I, I got to read some of the operator logs. Mm. Uh, so they were, they were writing stuff down as the events were unfolding. At this point, they had put on their um, emergency respirators, you know, the, uh, the breathing apparatus. And, and so they were wearing the emergency equipment and trying to control the plant. And there were probably like a thousand alarms on the screen. And so I was thinking to myself, wow, there needs to be something done simpler that's uh, easy to understand, that's uh, kind of engineered in terms of human factors. Three Mile Island made a big impact on race. Now, more than 40 years later, he's the chief technology officer of New Scale Power, located in Corvallis, Oregon. And built into those reactors 
safety features that can be traced directly back to the decade Reyes spent at the NRC. New scales reactors are known as SMRs, small modular reactors. Small because they generate about 20% as much power as full-scale reactors, and modular because they're assembled in factories before being shipped to power plant sites. Each module produces 60 megawatts, and so that's enough for about 50,000 homes, to give you a sense. What was the catalyst that made you a believer in the idea of small-scale nuclear reactors? In 2004, I spent uh, one year working uh, with the International Atomic Energy Agency in Vienna. I got to meet delegates from member states all over the world, and I learned a couple of things. I, I learned that, um, that there was a real need for, uh, for clean energy in, in these locations, but they didn't have the, the grid that would support a 1,000-megawatt plant, uh, and they didn't have the capital either. So there was a real need for smaller power. And at the same time, I kept hearing, oh, yeah, and we also need clean water. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of my aha moment because I had, uh, I had built this, uh, this one-third scale prototype at Oregon State University. And uh, every time I kept hearing, we need smaller-sized nuclear power, I kept thinking of what we had sitting in the lab back mm-hmm. in Corvallis. Today, there are about 96 traditional operating nuclear reactors in the U.S., accounting for about a fifth of the nation's total electrical output. And if that number surprised you, it surprised me too. In a lot of ways, nuclear power has fallen out of the national conversation, for reasons we'll get into. But that doesn't mean the plants have gone away. New Scale, a small company with just 350 employees, wants to start that conversation up again, starting with how their smaller reactors differ from the gargantuan reactors we use today. Can you explain how the small modular concept differs from the giant commercial reactors that are in use now? So typically when you think about nuclear power, you think about large containment domes, these big concrete buildings. Uh, we've gone to a very small uh, containment vessel. It was kind of a long cylinder. Uh, Would you say we, it's say like the size of a like an 18-wheeler truck? So it'd be a bit longer than that. Someone described your modular system as six-pack nukes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, does that work for you? Do you have a preferred conceptual shorthand? <laughs> a six-pack or a 12-pack. <laughs> Picture a six-pack of small modular reactors submerged in a pool of water. One of the things that stood out about Three Mile Island was the role of operator error. New-scale reactors rely on passive safety. When the water gets hot, it rises, circulating through external coils that cool it down. NewScale's cooling system is an endless convection loop driven by basic physics instead of human operators. And so now you've got cold water, uh, which is elevated above uh, hot water, and just by buoyancy, the natural circulation ensues. Everything you need for safety is right there in the pool. Uh, we're not relying on anything external to that building for safety. While the Three Mile Island accident brought enduring lessons to raise design, Another accident helped cement the global interest in SMRs as a better answer for the future of nuclear power. 126 million people watched their world crumbling around them. The earthquake, 8.9, one of the biggest ever. On March 11, 2011, the Great Sendai earthquake hit Japan. It was the largest in the country's history, a natural disaster of unimaginable proportion. The earthquake also triggered a massive tsunami. When it struck the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant, it obliterated the plant's backup power supply. 
Three of the six nuclear reactors at Fukushima are now in meltdown. Without that energy to maintain Fukushima Daiichi's cooling system, all three cores largely melted within three days, poisoning the surrounding area. And my first thought was, well, <laughs> <they're go> <laughs> that's the end of the company. No one's going to want to invest in nuclear following uh, the events at Fukushima. Uh, but what actually happened was, was kind of the opposite. Uh, the phone started ringing off the hook. We started getting uh, calls from all over, from, uh, from for some reporters, uh, from uh, some congressional staffers, saying, hey, you had told us about the fact that you didn't need power for your, your plant, even under the worst-case uh, conditions. NewScale has its own proprietary system. It doesn't rely on computers or software or people for plant safety. NewScale reactors can safely shut themselves down and keep themselves cool without power for an indefinite period of time. Their design seeks to limit not only the possibility of human error, but to reduce the needs for staffing, which becomes especially relevant during a global pandemic. Do you have, you know, as a result of COVID-19, does it give you any new perspective on why NewScale should exist? I really see that the resilience of our plant uh, might be highlighted more uh, than it has in the past because uh, we refuel our, uh, our modules once every two years. And so once you've installed a fuel, uh, it'll run continuously, producing full power uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for, for two years. So when you have upsets like this, you can assure that, that power will be provided to the grid and there won't be any interruptions uh, in fuel supply. But for Reyes, it isn't enough that his small modular reactors are simply designed to prevent nuclear disasters. He wants his SMRs to complement green energy sources like wind or solar power in order to reduce humanity's dependence on fossil fuels. And while he's at it, Reyes figures he might as well use nuclear power to help address the global shortage of fresh water. Uh, we worked with a company called Aquatac in, in a study. Uh, and we showed that one of our modules can produce 60 million gallons of, of desalinated water a day. His reactors work with systems that produce electricity or steam, which makes them attractive for desalination. Turning salt water into drinking water requires lots of energy, and most desalination plants run on energy from oil or gas. NuScale would provide the same power carbon-free. And so a 12-pack would be enough clean water for the city the size of Cape Town, South Africa, just to give you a sense. So wow, it's, okay. It's carbon-free okay. energy that produces clean water. That actually produces yeah. clean water at the same time. It's hard to hear numbers like this and not think these six-pack nukes must be a good thing. But why use nuclear to complement other renewables when so many other renewables exist? And then there's the question of what to do with all that nuclear waste. When we come back, we'll get some answers. Plus, a playground for nuclear innovation in the Idaho desert and a nuclear plant the size of a beach umbrella on Mars. Hi, it's me, Katerina. Before the break, we were looking at all the ways small-scale nuclear reactors could slash carbon emissions, clean our water, and possibly save the planet. But there are lingering questions about what to do with radioactive waste and what other problems we might not be anticipating. There's also the question of how fast might they actually get here? And will it be in time? To get some answers, we visited a place that historically has played a leadership role in developing next-generation nuclear reactors, 
the Idaho National Laboratory, or INL. Here in 1949, the Atomic Energy Commission established the National Reactor Testing Station, some 875 square miles, three-quarters the size of Rhode Island. It's located in a remote spot on a patch of high desert, but they're hardly on the fringes of the nuclear industry. I spoke with Dr. Ashley Finan, the director of the INL's National Reactor Innovation Center, to get her take on the viability of small-scale nukes. Ashley, help us put these small-scale reactors into context. How big is the small-scale movement worldwide, and do you agree that smaller is better? Yeah, there's a lot of interest in small nuclear power plants. And for the most part, folks are really avoiding doing mega projects. In many different countries, smaller is better. And, you know, having something that can be manufactured and shipped to a country that needs power um, is better than having to, to build something, you know, bespoke on site with a huge construction crew. Can we talk about size for a minute? They're called small-scale nukes. But some of them still seem pretty darn big. How small do they get? Some of the smallest ones would fit into a what's called a connex box, which is basically the the big box you see on the back of an 18-wheeler or you might see on the back of a train. So very small. Um, And those are often referred to as micro-reactors. Something the size of an 18-wheeler doesn't sound very micro. But it might start to when you consider that the typical reactor needs over one square mile of land to operate. The INL has been looking into small modular reactors since the late 90s, with funding from the Department of Energy that helped seed New Scales Reactor, among others. The U.S. government has built 52 test reactors at the National Lab in Idaho. One of the most distinctive is the experimental breeder reactor, too. It's a silver space-age dome that stands out against the sagebrush of the high desert that surrounds it. From this nerve center of EBR2, as it's called, scientists and technicians monitor the intricate processes of nuclear fission and gather information that will guarantee a plentiful supply of atomic power for the nation and the world for centuries to come. Until it closed down in 1994, EBR2 was used for historic tests designed to put a reactor through its paces in a controlled environment. Some of the most interesting tests involved reusing nuclear waste. With EVR2, they were demonstrating how you would be able to recycle the fuel and continue to get that energy out um, without having to go back to the ground to get more uranium, but instead being able to reuse that fuel. So do I understand this correctly? You're using leftover nuclear waste from that silver-domed reactor to fuel the next generation of small reactors. Absolutely. And it's a it's a very elegant solution. And we've started to recover some of that material from the EBR2 fuel. And we're working towards being able to fabricate that into advanced reactor fuels. The Idaho National Lab will take nuclear waste from that test reactor, EBR2, and create a sort of high-octane fuel for a new generation of small modular reactors. It's still a work in progress at INL, But the concept has proven viable in France, which recycles some of its nuclear waste. Keyword, some. Currently, all reactors, large and small, store their waste in pools, where it cools for many years. Some waste is moved to above-ground concrete casks. All of these solutions are temporary, at best. Using nuclear waste to run a reactor seems like the perfect solution. What's the catch? I think it is a really elegant solution, and I'm, I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to demonstrate it. 
But in terms of the challenges there, first, the the amount of useful energy in the waste that we have, there's an enormous amount of energy left. We could use that to power the United States for hundreds of years. So it isn't an immediate solution to the waste problem, but there is so much energy built up in our current spent nuclear fuel that using it in advanced reactors is not a whole or an immediate solution. Ashley Finan just dropped a sobering statistic on us. Even before we start building new reactors, we're already dealing with enough nuclear waste to keep the lights on in America for centuries. So recycling a portion of it, while a good thing, won't solve the larger problem. But Dr. Finan places even more urgency on addressing climate change. I think that the threats that we face if we fail to address climate impacts are enormous. And the potential consequences of um, an advanced nuclear reactor having uh, an accident are very small um, and localized compared with the impacts of climate change. And the fact that these designs can help to address climate change um, is, is a really important aspect to consider. But not everybody looks upon nuclear power so kindly, even small modular reactors. I don't think we need them. There's just so little information on small modular reactors um, that we can't really evaluate them. Mark Jacobson. He's a professor of civil and environmental engineering at Stanford. And he's spent his entire career trying to understand air pollution and the problems of global warming, There's nothing he wants more than to find large-scale, clean, renewable energy solutions. And he says no to nuclear, even SMRs. Small modular reactors, they they promise to build them faster because you can automatize it and build it on a conveyor belt, basically. And, you know, we don't know how long it will take. The other problem is uh, it's not even expected to have prototypes of commercialized versions until at least 2026. Then we need to solve 80% of the climate problem by 2030. So really, we need technologies that we can implement today and fast. Just like Ashley Finan argued that climate change is too urgent to worry about nuclear's downside, Mark Jacobson says climate change is too pressing to bet on technology with unproven implementation options and high potential risks. Like the danger of bad actors looking to use it as a weapon. Both civilian nuclear reactors and test reactors have been used by rogue states to enrich uranium. And then, when they thought that the international oversight committees weren't looking, that enrichment process was diverted into the development of nuclear weapons. This was the case with Iran and North Korea. And if Jacobson's right, there could be others. You can ship you know, a small modular reactor anywhere in the world. And so the more countries that would have them, the more danger it is in terms of especially weapons proliferation. In fact, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change uh, clearly says there's uh, significant evidence and high agreement that uh, weapons proliferation is a significant problem associated with nuclear reactors. For Jacobson, the real revolution isn't with SMRs, but renewable energy. His team at Stanford has done detailed modeling on how to get the U.S. energy system off of oil, coal, natural gas, and nuclear altogether. In fact, he developed the world's first wind map specifically for use with turbines. You know, offshore wind is something that we'll be able to deploy really quickly now that we have floating offshore wind turbines. 
solar photovoltaics or dirt cheap batteries have come down in price. There's really no need for spending money on nuclear. We can solve the problem with existing technologies that are cheaper, faster to deploy, and much safer. Nuclear power is the safest form of energy we've got. That's Dave Poston, a nuclear scientist at Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico. Even windmills, there's people that die falling off windmills uh, doing the construction. And there's been nobody killed in the United States by a nuclear power plant ever. If you're asking yourself, wait, what? That can't be true. It's actually true. The Three Mile Island disaster, the worst on U.S. soil, resulted in zero fatalities. Now, that doesn't address any indirect results from nuclear waste contamination, which remains an open question, according to the NRC. But I had just assumed some nuclear plant fatalities over the years. Dave Poston says they're not there. We caught up with him during the early days of the COVID quarantine. So I'm at home in Los Alamos, New Mexico. My wife and and three of my kids are at home. And then our two cats, one that's named Sputnik. Poston is a rocket scientist, as well as a designer of nuclear reactors. He's got a quirky sense of humor, likely influenced by one of his favorite TV shows, an animated sitcom about a safety inspector at a nuclear power plant. Three minutes to meltdown. Ah! Huh? We're doomed! He's currently working with the Johnson Space Center, designing a power source for off-world colonies, specifically the Moon and Mars. Since NASA is such a haven for acronyms, Poston got to choose one of his own for his reactor test. Krusty, kilowatt reactor using Sterling technology. After Krusty the Clown, the chain-smoking, depressive children's television star from The Simpsons. Hey, Casper! <laughs> Poston figured naming the test Krusty might get a little publicity. He was, after all, in competition for a limited pool of funding. In his time at NASA, he'd watched other nuclear projects run out of money. Billions of dollars would be wasted getting a project three-quarters of the way done before funding dried up. But that gave Poston an idea. Instead of designing a huge, expensive nuclear reactor, he designed a small, cheap one. How small? Very, very small. Our reactor core is the size of a paper towel roll. It's like four inches across and 10 inches high. Of course, uranium is a very dense material, so that paper towel roll weighs over 60 pounds. (laughs) When fully assembled, the entire reactor is roughly the size of a beach umbrella and about as easy to set up. We actually designed our reactor so that it was so easy to assemble that we assembled it in a hallway out of the test chamber. That's impressive. But the government was focused on the bottom line. Traditionally, a nuclear reactor built for use in space is expected to cost over a billion dollars. Dave's project came in significantly under budget. Our program to build, engineer, assemble, and test the reactor ended up costing $17 million. In the government space, that's a very small number. Poston's umbrella nukes are cheap enough that the government can afford lots of them. And they're small enough that you could pack several on a rocket. In just a few years, these umbrella nukes could be ready to provide power to outposts on the moon or Mars to run the life support systems critical to any off-world mission. Beyond that, they could power rovers, too. You would have electrically charged rovers that would take people around the moon on Mars, and these reactors could be placed 
in various locations as your charging stations, just like Tesla does along the interstates in the U.S. The Umbrella Nuke adds more possibilities to an already dizzying number of potential futures. On the one hand, we have an efficient source of carbon-free power, ready to power the world and clean our water for hundreds of years to come. Oh, and we might be able to run it on its own waste. On the other hand, toxic radioactive waste, hundreds of millions of dollars in research that might be better spent elsewhere. In either scenario, we know that time is running out to reverse the effects of climate change. Which brings us back to the question we began with. Would you agree to have a small-scale nuke in your own backyard? Hi, it's Katerina. We're back one more time with New Scale's Jose Reyes. Taking small modular reactors from the drawing board to the marketplace has been a long, expensive journey. To date, a full decade and nearly a billion dollars in costs provided by the Department of Energy and the engineering firm Fluor. The price tag on testing alone boggles the mind. $100 million and a truly daunting amount of paperwork. We've submitted a 22,000-page design certification application. Now it's just the application. <laughs> so right. Since then, I think it's about 2 million pages of information <laughs> regarding the design and includes all the test data, our risk assessments. All those things had to be submitted to the NRC. Wow, okay. That long-awaited safety evaluation report from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission came in August. When the NRC signed off, it validated the overall safety of NuScale's design, and that helped clear the way to build these small nuclear reactors in the real world. Reyes wasn't the only one betting that the NRC would approve of NuScale's designs. A utility company in Utah has already signed up for a 12-pack of NuScale's nukes and agreed to pay $3 billion for it. How soon would the Utah utility partner get their reactors up and running? So they, they are retiring some coal-fired plants, and so they, they do have a, a deadline that we're, we're trying to meet. NuScale plans to deliver its first module to the Utah utility in 2029. It aims to have a fully operational plant in 2030, though the utility now says it may start smaller with just a six-pack or a new configuration, a four-pack. It turns out that NuScale's reactors can crank out more power than they realized. When we recorded our interview last spring, Reyes said that one module would generate 60 megawatts of power. Now the company says each one can generate 77 megawatts, about 25% more power. That helps lower costs for utilities, allowing them to get more bang with fewer bucks and fewer reactors. But the Utah utility is only one customer of what Reyes hopes will be many. In the next 25 years, Jose Reyes has loftier goals for new scale. But it's not just about generating nuclear power. It's also about making an impact on climate change. We think we can sell about 670 to, to 1,700 of these individual modules. If we did that, uh, we could reduce uh, CO2 emissions by a billion metric tons per year. So it's a huge reduction of CO2 emissions uh, just by implementing this technology. In order to meet that goal, and this is where I get really excited, is we have to have quite a bit of manufacturing capability. Uh, we would need to be producing uh, basically three of these modules every month. Mm -hmm. So that means we need multiple manufacturing sites. It's an opportunity for new jobs in the U.S. and, uh, and other places around the world. Uh, so we're excited about the fact that uh, 
not only will we will be helping reduce the CO2 emissions, uh, but we'll also be creating a, a whole new industry uh, and bring manufacturing to the U.S. And fresh water. And fresh water. That doesn't even include all the, <laughs> the opportunities for, for desalination. That's right. Exactly. For me, this is a dream come true. To come up with a concept, to, to follow it all the way through, to collaborate with national labs, to collaborate with the Department of Energy, to move this along and to finally see it coming to fruition is just, uh, it's just amazing for me. I think the rewards uh, will be significant, not just for the company, but really for the world. Look, I don't get to decide should this exist, and neither does this show. Our goal is to inspire you to ask that question and the intriguing questions that grow from it. There is absolutely no way that I would want a small-scale plant in my community, but, like, I don't want it in anyone's community. The word nuclear is just a really scary word. How are we going to deal with nuclear waste? Why is this the move that we're trying to make instead of just trying to convince everybody to use solar and wind energy? They're sitting right there. Put one in my backyard. I'll take it. I'll do it. The other benefits from this technology, clean water along with clean power, it makes it undeniable that we should at least consider it. Until you really prove to me that you're more about saving the planet than getting your money with your new technology, I'm not interested. Agree? Disagree? You might have perspectives that are completely different from what we've shared so far. We want to hear them. To tell us the questions you're asking, go to shouldthisexist.com, where you can record a message for us. And join the Should This Exist newsletter at shouldthisexist.com. I'm Katerina Fake. Should This Exist is a Wait What original. The series is produced with generous support of Omijar Network, a social change venture working to ensure technology is safe, fair, and compassionate, and a world in which individuals have the social, economic, and democratic power to thrive. The series is produced by Mary Beth Kirshner. Our supervising producer is Jay Punjabi. Robin Wise is our technical director. Ben Hicks is recording engineer for Disher Sound. Danielle Roth is our assistant producer. Catherine Winter, consulting editor. And Alex Berg, our scriptwriter. Jeff Tyler produced this episode. Music and sound design by Mark Phillips. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. Our executive producer is June Cohen. Special thanks to Darren Triff, Sarah Sandman, Emily McManus, Anna Pizzino, Christina Gonzalez, Katie Clark Gray, and Adam Heiner. Visit shouldthisexist.com to find the transcript for this episode. And don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps other people find the show. 